pick up two droplets. Two droplets of the Delta variant would be equivalent to uh, hundreds of droplets on the original wild type. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Bill and Fred, uh, as always, thank you. Um, last week, and we purposely postponed this podcast so we could actually see the data and understand what's driving this. Uh, but I think the Washington Post began with the headline, The War Has Changed, Internal CDC Document Urges New Messaging, Warns Delta Infections Likely More Severe, and essentially talking about um, a strategy of whether you are vaccinated or not, um, that people should mask up. So I know there was data coming out of the Cape, Provincetown, etc. Maybe you can help us um, understand the data and understand how people should be thinking about this and what they should be doing. Sure. So what the the study that uh, came out of of Provincetown out on Cape Cod was that over the 4th of July weekend, there were, I'm not going to have the exact number, 470-something cases. And the issue was twofold. One is that the reported vaccination rate in Provincetown is on the order of 80%. So the the assumption was that these cases had to have been, to a great extent, um, in vaccinated people, which they were, and that they were all in all likelihood representing vaccinated to vaccinated transmission. And then the other major concern was that in doing the testing of these infected people, they were finding that the the cycle counts when they do the PCR, and the cycle counts is how many thresholds running through the test machine of they they heat it, they evaporate a little bit, they test it again. So they're concentrating it more and more. It gives you an indirect way of measuring how much viral particles were there in the sample. Well, they were finding that the samples of people who were vaccinated were showing or indicating as high a viral particle count as the people who were not vaccinated. So that is the key thing that scared them. Um, and so based on that, they were saying that this this one episode demonstrated that there is a high rate of transmission to vaccinated people. There is the probability of vaccinated to vaccinated transmission. And that with Delta, people who are, even if they are vaccinated, they are carrying as much virus in their nose and nose and throat as unvaccinated people. So we need to put everyone back in masks because vaccines alone are no longer breaking the chain of transmission. So that's the that's the logic of the whole thing. I have a couple of problems with it and I'm not gonna I'm not saying that the conclusion at the end that right now while while COVID is so high, we need to be thinking about having people back in masks again. That conclusion may be valid. However, the logic, there are some issues with it, not saying they're wrong, but saying that we need to get the data on it. And um, I'll stop there for a minute and see if, if what, what I've said so far, Fred wants to comment on any of that. Yeah, sure. Uh, Bill, Bill makes a good point. The PCR, what it measures is the RNA uh, and doesn't prove that you have live virus. However, if you do the tests, 
in the uh, in the first several days when someone is symptomatic we know from there have been comparison studies between PCR and live viral culture and for the first 10 days uh, you if you get a PCR positive it's likely to be live virus so i i don't know i can't tell from the reports when these PCRs were performed in relationship to the onset of symptoms but i suspect it was in that 10 days though but that's that's the that's the major issue um the big question and the concern of everyone is uh yes if you're vaccinated you have a reduced risk of becoming infected at all it's one in eight uh, one eighth the level of infection compared to unvaccinated but if you're one of those eight that does become infected who is vaccinated, you are going to carry a very high concentration of virus in your nose. And based on, I, I believe, the CT thresholds for the most part, and it will be at levels comparable to those that are unvaccinated. Therefore, even though fewer vaccinated will be infectious, those that are vaccinated can transmit the virus. And that's why uh, they're recommending masks for those that are vaccinated. We can't guess which which of the eight one eighth is going to be in, in, infectious. Uh, the other uh, seven eighths are not going to be. But there's no way to know who that is. Yeah, the and so that's what a lot of this is. It's making we have to be making this assumption that the vac that the in, infectivity of the people who are uh, vaccinated can still be very high. There is some counter evidence to that too, though. In a very recent study just released in the last week in Israel, looked at 1,500 healthcare workers. And in that 1,500 healthcare workers, they identified about 39 breakthrough infections. And that turned out, uh, I didn't go through the data on that, but that turned out to be what kind of what was expected in that, that same, that one-eighth rate of getting infected. That seemed to be about right. But there was not a single secondary infection for these healthcare workers who were going home to their families. So even though they had the, vi the virus was detected, is it truly as infectious? And that that's the that's a million dollar question. We have to assume that it is, and that's the reason for CDC putting everybody in masks again. Um, and for all the reasons that Fred went through, it is logical to assume that it is. But then we have this data like the this Israeli study that's showing that well maybe not. And you know the, the the older studies looking at PCR levels were not looking at vaccinated people. They were looking at people who had a naive immune system, as not an immune system that had already been and, and fairly recently been keyed to um, uh, the virus. So there there may be some differences, but it's certainly it's not anything that we want to take a chance on. So I guess my my message to people is, you know you do need to risk mitigate. And I'm not I'm not telling people and recommending to the patients I'm working with that they need to go back to where we were um, prior to vaccinations in the middle of the the epidemic, the the real the real big part of the epidemic in in January of last year. But I certainly am telling people don't start backing off on anything. And if you're gonna be in a crowded location, I would think twice about not wearing a mask. Yeah, I, th I think that's very reasonable. 
But the beauty is that at least 50% of individuals are vaccinated and they are not going to get seriously ill. So this is a very different situation than before the vaccine where everybody had the potential of becoming severely ill. So it's it's not as bad, but it's among those that are unvaccinated, um, as we're hearing uh, from many hospitals, and I can tell you our own hospital at the University of Florida, we are very close to the maximum number of hospitalizations for COVID we have ever had. So um, whatever's going on, it's not good. And it, it does appear that this Delta variant is infecting more people and, and the epidemic is still, the curve is still going up. So it may be that in certain areas of the country where our governor forbids mandating of masks, he forbids uh, uh, um, reducing the capacity of bars and restaurants. So uh, guess what? So now Florida, I don't, you know, I put two and two equals four. Uh, no, no mandates, no masks, no uh, social distancing. And guess what? We represent one out of five infections in the United States. And yesterday, they hit the highest number of new cases in the history of the state. Fred, I'm just curious, do you have a, a sense of the, these people that are being hospitalized, uh, the, the ratio of vac- that's vaccinated to unvaccinated? I mean, we know that the, the, um, it's about 50-50 in the state just across the board, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. But what is what is vaccination due to your hospitalization? Do you have any uh, idea? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's 95 to 98% are unvaccinated. So that's the other thing that is is coming from this is now for the first time um, in several months, we're actually seeing the vaccination rate tweaking up a little bit. I mean, we're not back to the 4 million doses a day that, that it peaked out at in April, but we are up, we are up from the quarter million a day that it, it went down to up to four 400,000 or so a day. Yeah. So, and Bill, I think the latest statistics that I saw today was that there were uh, at least 70% of the adults in America now have at least one dose. 4.7 million uh, Americans have received a shot in the past two weeks. And um, there was a large increase. Of course, you're starting from a small number in Arkansas, Louisiana, Missouri. And, uh, you know, it looks as though at least a, a message is coming in. On the other hand, Fred, just to your point about Florida, I think on Friday they there was a new um, peak single-day caseload of over 21,000 new infections. I think it was 21,700 plus, uh, to your point. A lot of young people are coming down with this who have not been immunized. And, Bill, to your point, at least as I, as of Sunday, as I was sort of checking and, and listening carefully, I think that number of, you know, 95 to 98% of the hospitalizations are, in fact, with uh, unvaccinated uh, individuals. So just to you know, put some context around that. And the one thing I, I did not see, and I, you know, I was on a phone call with one of the major cities uh, prior to our podcast, I, I haven't heard much guidance around 
which masks people should be wearing. And they come in all shapes, colors, and sizes. Uh, Maybe you guys could give us some guidance if people are going to be in a crowd, in an abundance of caution, out of courtesy to others, what type of mask should people be wearing? And I think our audience would be particularly interested, you know, when traveling either on a train, buses, or on an airplane. Well, the, the mask, the formal mask guidance has not changed. That I mean, but there has been a lot of talk that that now that we are kind of we got through the first part of this and the manufacturing capabilities on masks and similar have come up, that you can get N95 masks for about a buck a piece, and they can last you all day long. Actually, and as we know from before, they can last in some cases if you try if you keep it clean, possibly even cover it with a with a thin outer covering mask um, that you can wear it for a week or so. And so the N95 masks are going to be the most effective both directions. Both if you are infected, they're going to keep you from spreading it. And if you are not infected, they're going to keep you from getting infected. The problem is that an N95 mask for many people is very difficult to wear for an entire day. And so many people do go down to the, the kind of the next level mask, which is a either a commercial or a well-made, homemade um, three-layer three mask. Um, to uh, The outer layers of a woven material, the inner layer of a non-woven material, um, random, random strand fibers, those are, those are the best ways to prevent. The other issue, though, is that what we're seeing with, the, with Delta is it, it's, in theory, it should be the the same virus, the same the same uh, dynamics as the prior. It's just the way it binds to the the receptor sites in the cells. That should be the only difference. That being said, it seems to be acting much more like an aerosol, in that it's not it's not just being particles. It's it is it does transfer farther and and um, it takes less of a dose to become infected. Uh, those are all uh, Bill. Uh, Bill's points are were very well taken. I agree with all of them. Uh, one one of the issues: the mask has to t- fit very tightly around the sides of your face. And many people are wearing these loose surgical masks, and you see them folding out on the sides. Those are really ineffective. And with regards to uh, the infectiousness of this this particular variant. One of the things that's come out in the cell culture data is that the each individual cell is capable. Original the original strains were capable of each cell would produce a hundred viral particles. Uh, in the case of the Delta variant, an individual cell can produce a hundred thousand viral particles. So the um, and the so the concentrations of virus in saliva in sputum are likely to be a thousand times higher than the original virus. Now think about that. So one little particle, one little droplet, could contain many more viral particles than the original virus. And that would make it much more infectious. So if you just pick up two droplets, two droplets of the Delta variant would be equivalent to uh, hundreds of droplets on the original wild type. So I think not only is there a higher affinity, but the production of virus 
individuals and individual cells and in individual uh, people in their nose are far, far higher. So there are likely to be many, many more super spreaders out there. And so if you get into a closed environment, one of these super spreaders, virtually everyone in that in that location will become infected. The, the one thing that I don't understand, and I've been trying to read and, and talk to others about it, is because of that huge manufacturing of viral particles in the cells, you would think that it would cause much more illness. Um, it, it, would cause, it would cause people who are infected to become much more ill. I'm going to use, choose my words carefully. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Maybe a little bit, but it's, it's not, it is, even for the unvaccinated people, it doesn't seem to be, be making people ill at a greater rate. It's just making many more people many more people ill is if that if i'm clear on that we have to cut away for a moment and we will be right back welcome back to our conversation with dr bill lang and dr fred southwick bill let me unpack that with you and fred okay because um sort of the takeaways here and i'll, I'll try to do a quick summation which is, number one, um, even more compelling reasons to be vaccinated. The data is clearly showing that. And the data is showing that the vaccines are highly, highly effective in keeping people out of hospitals and protecting them from, from dying and serious, serious illness. Two is that even if you are vaccinated, uh, you still may contract the virus and you can be a spreader. Uh, but to the extent that the data shows this, and, and I know both of you have had experience with people who were vaccinated and nonetheless, you know, came down with COVID. Um, I think the headline earlier today was about Lindsey Graham, who unfortunately contracted COVID notwithstanding being vaccinated, but we're, we're hearing more and more of these stories, but that the symptoms that one has are considerably less, somewhat aligned to having a cold, allergy, you know, feeling malaise, possibly a headache, but nothing that is debilitating and nothing that's life-threatening. Further summation point, and I'm hearing, Fred, what you're saying is that the virus uh, spreads faster, more efficiently, and more effectively than did the original COVID-19. That uh, if if you you should be avoiding public places to the extent you can, but if you are in a public place, and particularly if you haven't been vaccinated, but even if you have been, you should be wearing protective gear. And now, Bill, uh, an interesting question that you've raised is if in fact the strain the delta variant is more virulent if i can use that word why are people not getting sicker than they did from the original virus so we're, we're yeah, still that, seeing we're yeah. still seeing about 15 percent of people seeking medical 15 percent of people right. who get infected seek medical care about five percent get hospitalized and the the deaths the death rate is in fact much lower but that's be that appears to be because 
of the the age skew is so much younger. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, one 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 point on that, Bill, is that what we are seeing is the incubation period, the time from exposure to onset of symptoms, is shorter, two to three days versus four to five days in the previous uh, viruses. So I think there's some element in that, and you know, illness severity. I, I've not seen a formal study yet. Um, I can tell you, our hospitalists, I just had a meeting with them today at noon, are reporting that uh, some of the younger patients are really getting sick very, very fast and going from needing hardly any oxygen to being on a respirator within 24 hours. So um, I think the, the jury's out on whether or not it's more severe. And I agree with you. If there are higher viral content in the host, it's highly likely that the disease will be more severe. So I would predict that when the formal studies come out, that the Delta will prove to be causing more severe disease. And, and Fred, can I can I ask a question just not in the interest of a public service message? With the young people that you see coming down with this and very quickly you know, going on a ventilator. Are these people, obviously these are not vaccinated individuals, is that right? Yeah, they are all unvaccinated. Okay. Everyone is unvaccinated. And and did they have pre-existing, to the extent you know? No, they haven't. And, and the other concern that I think people need to know is what we're seeing in the younger, and we also, this I also saw this in the India patients, because the virus is infecting Uh, more heavily infecting your vascular endothelial cells, the cells that line your vessels, we're seeing, particularly younger people, more thrombotic events, more clot clot formations, more evidence of pulmonary emboli and thrombophobitis and even strokes. So that is another big concern, and it does appear, uh, it's anecdotal as yet, but uh, it's uh, worth finding that there are more thrombotic events. So if we can emphasize that to the audience, and I know we have a lot of young people who are listening, notwithstanding what, you know, what, I, what I'm hearing you say, Fred, you may think you're in great shape. You may, in fact, be in great shape. But this virus does not care. What one of the big things that concerns me, though, with all this is that this emphasis has been on everybody's got to go back in masks, um, including people who are, who are immunized. And so the message that a lot of younger people are hearing is, well, if I've got to wear a mask. Why do I even need to bother getting vaccinated? That's exactly the wrong message. That's why this this whole focus on what's happening with immunized people, I think, is is mix, is messing up the message somewhat. What we really need to be focused on is that people who are not vaccinated are at higher risk. They're at higher risk of disease, of getting infected. They may be at higher risk of worse disease based on what uh, what Fred is seeing in the hospitals there. And, and it's consistent with the number of hospitalizations that we're seeing. Um, but this can all be prevented with vaccination. All right, a great takeaway. I wanted to um, ask one more question which is coming up, long-term effects. And I know you guys continue on a daily basis, if not twice a day or three times a day, look at the data. What do we know about the long-term effects of this disease? The, the, 
biggest issue is is it either triggering or building on or sometimes just totally totally de novo um, autoimmune type effects. Uh, but this is not this would not be the first virus that's done this. You know, we also have the the long standing issues with um, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and then, and then, just other autoimmune diseases that that seem that they may be uh, triggered by viral infections. So, th- I think this is doing this in, in spades. Uh, then you have the other long-term effects that are related to the thrombotic events. It's it's not it's not such so much that it's an ongoing effect of the virus. It's that the virus causes something, a big blood clot, that then has its own long-term effects. So it's really it's two categories of effects that we've got to be be very careful about. One of the big questions is how much does the vaccine uh, prevent that? Um, there was there were a couple studies early on that showed that thirty percent of those who were having long term effects had a decrease in their effects once they get vaccinated. Um, I, I don't know if that's holding up in the in the more recent studies. But we would think that if we're having less infection, we're going to have less of the long-term effects. Yeah, one of the things that has been seen in those that are having the long-term uh, long haulers or chronic symptoms over the over a month is that the their cytokine levels have remained elevated. So it's as though their immune system never completely shut off. It continues to. Uh, make them feel as though they're ill. They feel tired. They don't have the energy. They may have muscle aches. And some people are complaining about of what they call brain fog. They just don't feel as sharp as they used to. And those all could be explained by continued activation of, of the immune system, uh, even though the active infection has disappeared. There's also... Um, with school reopenings and travel, a lot of questions about what parents should be doing for their kids. Uh, Fred, if I'm correct, I think Florida has left it up to the parents to decide whether their kids mask or don't mask. Um, Similarly, in South Carolina and a few other states, and right now New York is trying to figure out what they want to do um, in terms of mandatory requirements. Any advice or thoughts that you have for parents and their kids? Um, well, uh, just to speak about Florida, that is correct. Um, it's up to each individual parent. Now, the problem, of course, with that is uh, the parents that don't want their kids to wear masks, that will allow those kids to come in and infect the kids whose parents want to wear a mask. And that really, um, really isn't quite fair. I don't, it just is not being considered of, of your fellow man. So I, I think this is, uh, we, we, we've got this uh, um, choice. I, it's my individual choice and I'm responsible versus my concern about my community and concern about others. I'm only going to be concerned about myself I don't care if your kid gets sick. Uh, my kid's not wearing a mask. I, I think it's a very bad message. And quite frankly, I can't believe that, that politicians are actually espousing this philosophy. It's really the antithesis of a true community 
and of teamwork and collaboration. One thing with kids to keep in mind is that, yes, the um, the rate of severe disease is, in fact, very, very low. Um, it's somewhere there have been about 18,000 um, children that have been hospitalized through COVID. And of those 18,000, it's about 60% of those do not have significant risk factors. Yes, 40% do, but about 60% do not. So um, this is about a 0.45% infection rate. So that ended up being hospitalized. That's about one-tenth of what you see in adults. So that's good. So that means that kids are at lower risk of significant infection. Um, even, but even kids that do not have any risk factors have a risk of being hospitalized for this. But it is, it is much, much lower than adults. Right, right, just one thing, David, I, I can tell you our pediatric group now is seeing more and more people uh, under age 15 that are being hospitalized for COVID uh, during this surge, and they are very sick. So, I, you know, I think the rules are changing a little bit, and we should be a little bit more cautious about saying, oh, well, kids will all be fine. It's looking like uh, some of them aren't going to be so fine. Uh, with the Delta variant. Yeah, and, and to be to be clear, what the statistics that I just gave you was based on from the beginning of the epidemic. So this so it, it is this is Delta different for the kids? Big question that we don't have we don't have formal answers for yet. Just as a bit of preview for Friday's podcast with uh, Fred and Bill, uh, we definitely want to get into the question of vaccinations for children under fifteen and what the Delta variant is telling us. Secondly, for those people who may have just received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, should they be doing anything at this point? And very much the topic of will there be a third vaccine, and if so, when, and sort of what people should be doing in the interim uh, to deal with the Delta variant. But those are going to be the important uh, topics. And Fred, just to your point, and I try, I try to listen to all sides, so hopefully nobody will judge my politics. Um, I wish this were just about medical science, but it's not. There is something within the DNA of this country in different groups and with people who are actually otherwise highly intelligent and informed and otherwise might make great decisions in their life. There is just something about the, that where people react when the government tells them they have to do something. And it's a very interesting dynamic. I'm still trying to understand it. But there's a visceral response. So uh, unfortunately, many of the conversations and many of the policies we're discussing, you have leaders who are trying to balance uh, you know, their electoral of concerns and a philosophy within their respective states or within something more broad about freedom of choice and freedom from government, what's referred to as government inter interference in their lives. So unfortunately, that's part and parcel of what we're dealing with now. David, those are well, those are well taken points. And I, I do yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, it's a challenge. 
the same problems they're having in France right now. So yeah, they, uh, we're the, not alone. the protests and social media is feeding this, and maybe some external influences are pushing out a variety of uh, false messages. And I will just say one thing I have noted that I think we're finally doing better is we're pushing out better messengers around this, people that certain groups can relate to. And I think you, both of you had made it a point, and I want to end on this, is that um, the ability to have a conversation with someone that people trust is critical here. And so hopefully that that is occurring, whether it's a member of one's, you know, house of worship, their physician, if they have one, which is a big issue, um, representatives from their community, teachers, whatever. But I, I think finally, you know, there is more of an organized and concerted effort, not just around the message, but around getting the right messengers out there. So more to come. So I want to thank Fred, Bill, once again for your time, your great insights, and I look forward to uh, later this week. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you, Bill and Fred, profound thanks as always. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.